Welcome to Friendship with God. Today, Tom Cantor will teach us from the book of Esther how King Ahasuerus asked Esther what her petition was and how she answered unselfishly. This message is available for free download at friendshipwithgod.org and on iTunes. We have some exciting news that Tom Cantor has finished his long-awaited Friendship with God Bible. It's a King James Bible with over 2,200 pages, over 600 pages of Bible helps and resources. With over 30,000 Bible column and inline scripture references, as well as Hebrew root notations in the Old Testament, 12 custom-made full-color maps, and a full-color nine-page History of Israel map. We're printing a limited supply of these on Finland thin paper printing technology that will be covered in lambskin leather. A Bible like this will run over $200, but we're offering this incredible Tom Cantor Friendship with God Commentary and Reference Bible at less than $80 when you sign up today for our first limited print run release. Now please call us at 1-800-247-3051. 1-800-247-3051. Now here's Tom Cantor as we continue studying from the book of Esther. Has God made a statement in the Bible that would apply to my situation? How would each possible decision, considering them, you know, this one and that one, how would each one appear to the lost who don't know God? Is there a decision that I can make that will appear evil? Even though it may not be evil, but will it appear evil? Because I should not do what it says, I should do what it says in 1 Thessalonians 5.22, abstain from all appearance of evil. That's a great word, abstain. It means to refrain, to hold yourself back. You can be sure that the Jews had to refrain themselves from wiping out those families who were going to kill them and refrain themselves from taking the spoil. They had the right to do it, but it would have had the appearance of evil, so they abstained, they held back from it. And then the other consideration, this is a golden opportunity. So you're faced with a decision. This is a golden opportunity. Do I have an opportunity to make a remarkable decision here that will be looked at, will be noted by others, and cause them to be drawn by God? I mean, we've seen how remarkable it was and notable it was that the Jews didn't kill, they only killed the men, it didn't kill the, the women and the children, it didn't take the spoil. It was so remarkable, it was so notable that it was noted, as we've seen in verses 6, 10, uh, 12, 15, and 16. That's pretty noteworthy to put it in five verses. And it was noteworthy in the sight of all those lost people who didn't know God. It, was, it had a tremendous influence on others. Tremendous. Look at, at uh, verse 27, Esther 9, 27. Look what it says there. The Jews ordained and took upon them and upon their seed and upon all such as joined themselves unto them, so as not to fail that they should keep these two days. All such as joined themselves unto them. Who are those? Who are they? Who are those who are called in this verse the all such who joined themselves unto them? Those were lost people who didn't know the saving God of the Jews. Those were lost Gentiles who were also described, you look back in the previous chapter, Esther 8.17, where it says, And in every province and in every city, wheresoever the king's commandment as decree came, the Jews had joy and gladness, a feast and a good day. And many of the people of the land became Jews 
That's interesting. Then many of the land, people of the land became Jews, for the fear of the Jews fell upon them. They are described as many of the people of the land who became Jews. Those were lost Gentiles, who the Bible describes, and if you like, turn to it, in Ephesians 2.12, gives a very, very detailed description, several points about what it means to be lost. In Ephesians 2.12, it says that at that time, you were, number one, without Christ. Number two, being aliens of the commonwealth of Israel. Number three, strangers of the covenants of promise. Number four, having no hope. And number five, without God in this world. And the only way, the only way that they could, these lost Gentiles, that they could have Jehovah Jesus as their Savior was to join themselves to the Jews. And and they were watching the Jews to see if they wanted to be a part of them. And the only way they could stop from the alienation, stop being the alien, stepping the God. It's, it's terrible to be an alien in God's sight. An alien from the commonwealth of Israel was to join themselves to the Jews. And they were watching the Jews to see, do I want to become a part of them? And the only way they could stop being a stranger from the covenants of promise, the great promises that God had made, was to join themselves to the Jews. And they were watching the Jews and say, do I want to become a part of the Jews? And the only way they could have hope, the only way they could have God in this world was to be, join themselves to the Jews. And they're watching the Jews and they're saying, do I want to do that? Do I want to, join, do I want to become a Jew? Do I want to join myself to the Jews? And when they saw the Jews restrain themselves from killing the children and the women and they restrained themselves from taking the spoil, they said, I like what I see in what the Jews did. I want to be a part of them. I want to become a Jew. And they became a part of the Jews. And when they did that, they found Jehovah Jesus as their personal Savior. They stopped being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel. They stopped being strangers from the covenants of promise. They gained hope. They got God in this world because they looked at the Jews and they said, you know, from what they went through, I think I would have probably exercised my right to wipe out the families. Why take a chance? I think I would have taken the spoil from my possessions. But they looked at the Jews and they said to themselves, they didn't. And then they said, I need what you got. I need what you got. And the Jews walked away that day from the treasure that was on earth that they had the right to seize. And they gained a far greater treasure that's described in Malachi chapter 3, verse 17, where it says, And they shall be mine, saith the Lord of hosts, in that day when I make up my jewels. Because when those Jews got to heaven, they were accompanied by those lost Gentiles who became Jews. They were, and they, they had led them to Jehovah Jesus. And they had the joy of presenting those saved Gentiles to become Jews, to Jehovah Jesus, and to say, Lord, I brought home some jewels for you. Precious jewels. Here's the first one, Lord, I brought home to you. I want to present to you. His name is Hassan. It's the name of the new president of Iran now. He's from Lebanon. And he was far from God. And he saw me refrain myself, and I was able to bring him to salvation. Lord, here's the second jewel I brought to you. Her name is Abida. 
She's from Afghanistan. And when she saw us refrain ourselves, I was able to bring her to salvation. And even though we don't like to think about this, but we are being watched. We are being watched carefully. And what we're being watched for is the decisions that we make. Because people are making their own decisions based on our decisions. And there was a Christian who moved into a neighborhood right next door to a notorious, a notorious evil man. And the Christian, when he moved in, he said, if he disturbs me, I will kill him. <laughs> but he didn't mean it the way it sounds. And so word got to his neighbor that, that uh, you know, the Christian said he's going to kill you if you disturb him. So he just went out of his way to disturb him, this evil neighbor did. And everything he could do to harass this Christian, to disturb this Christian. And the Christian just kept showing more kindness and, and more love to him. And, and, the, and, and the more this wicked neighbor was to him, then the more this, the kinder the Christian was. Till finally, this neighbor comes and he knocks on the door of the Christian. And with tears running down his face, he said, I was told when you moved into the neighborhood that you were going to kill me, but I didn't think you were going to do it that way. <laughs> yeah. Why? Because with kindness, that Christian was able to bring him to God. Why? Because the Christian refrained himself from fighting back as the Jews refrained themselves. During World War II... There was a British brigade with a sergeant who was in charge of this particular brigade. And there was in the brigade one committed Christian. And every night, this Christian would kneel down on the floor next to his bunk. And he would open his khaki-colored New Testament. And he would read and pray every night. And then he would go to sleep. And this just irritated the sergeant so much that he made it his personal goal to break this man. And he was especially hard on this Christian. And the the sergeant was just committed to see this Christian crack. So the sergeant made the Christian do extra marches and gave him all the worst jobs he could possibly think of. But every night, without fail, the Christian would come, drag him back into the barracks, kneel down on the floor, open his khaki New Testament, and start to read and pray before he went to sleep. And one day, it was raining, and the sergeant sat in his bed and and, and uh, get ready to go to bed, and he pulled off his muddy boot, and he saw that Christian kneeling there and reading his Bible and praying, and he was so infuriated with the sight of it that the sergeant just flung his, his muddy boot over and hit the Christian right up the side of the head. And blood splattered, not blood, mud splattered uh, all over and on the, on the Bible, and that Christian just wiped this off his face and his Bible and then just got in bed as if to sleep, but he didn't go to sleep. And after the sergeant fell asleep, the Christian got up. And the next morning, the sergeant got up, and there next to his bed were his boots all cleaned and polished. And the sergeant saw that. He ran over, and he says, whatever you got, I need that. (laughs) Why? Because the Christian refrained himself. He refrained himself like those Jews did. So these are the three questions that we need to use to guide our decisions. What would God want me to do? How would each possible decision appear to the lost who need God? And do I have an opportunity to make a remarkable decision here that will be noted by others and cause them to be drawn to God? Now, verse 12, it says here that we see in the end, now at the end of verse 12, it says it's the, it's the 13th of Adar. It's been a horrific day of slaughter. 
all over in the provinces and Shushan the palace. And we see the king now with Esther. And in verse 12, we see the king telling Esther that the king is telling Esther that, you know, the Jews have killed and destroyed 500 men in Shushan the palace city. And the king tells Esther that the Jews have also killed the 10 sons, 10 sons of, of, of Haman. See, this is the king telling Esther this. And so the king seems somewhat, well, let's say surprised by all the killing, which he knew about in Shushan, the palace. And so now we see the king asking Esther two questions. She said, he, says, he says, first of all to Esther, he says to her, so what's happened throughout the rest of the king's provinces from Ethiopia to India? In India? And then his second question is, and what more, what more do you want, Esther? What is thy petition? So with that question, the king is quick. To promise Esther, don't worry about it. He says, whatever you ask, it'll be granted. And now here it would have been very easy for Esther to have thought to herself, you know, oh, what have I done? 500 people dead in, the, in, the, in Shushan the palace and tens of thousands killed throughout the kingdom. And what am I? I'm a foreigner in this country. This isn't even my land. But maybe we should just call it a day and be done with it. But, you know, that's not what we see in Esther. That's not Esther. We see a woman who is just as resolved as we saw her when she said, if I perish, I perish in Esther 4.16. We see the same fearless woman of determination as we saw when she accused Haman with the words, the adversary and the enemy is this wicked Haman in Esther 7.6. And so she had a job to do and she was not going to rest until the job was done. And so we see her in her typical posture of, of beautiful humility, Without any, any hesitation, we read in, in Esther 9, 13, Then said Esther, If it please the king, let it be granted to the Jews that which are in Chushan to do tomorrow also according to unto the day's decree. And let Haman's ten sons be hanged upon the gallows. So there's a bold humility here on the part of Esther. She starts with the words, If it please the king. That's a humility that caused the king to love this woman above Vashti. And because God and the king both loved this attitude when she says, if it pleased the king. She was always submitting herself to God, to the king, to Mordecai. Esther said that, that qualifying statement, if it pleased the king. She's an example to us of, of James 4, 13 through 15, where it says, Go to now you that say, tomorrow, today or tomorrow we will go into such a city, continue there a year, buy, sell, get gain. Whereas you know not what the day what, what shall be on the morrow? For what's your life? It's even a vapor that appeareth for a little time and then vanisheth away. For that ye ought to say, if the Lord will, we shall live and do this or that. And Esther, she had a will, but she was always submitting herself to the, submitting herself to the will of God and to the king. And so that's how God would have us to think, like Esther. When she says, I'll do this, Esther says, if it please the king, we should say, I'll do this if the Lord wills. I'll go there if the Lord will. Those are not just words. That's an attitude on her part. An attitude to constantly wanting to bring her will in alignment with God's will, working through the king. And she was convinced that the job of ridding the kingdom of the enemies of the Jews, it wasn't completed on the 13th of Adar, the single day. And Esther knew that the job had, had not been completed in the city of Shushan, the palace. How did Esther know that another day was required for the Shushan? I don't know how she knew it. We're not told how she knew it, but she knew. And so with that knowledge, Esther then asked 
that for Shushan the palace only, not for the kingdom, but just Shushan the palace, that there might be one more day of cleansing the city of those who, uh, of those who wanted to kill the Jews, destroy the Jews. And sure enough, they found 300 more who were probably hiding or undercover. I don't know. And they, so they destroyed them on the 14th of Adar. That was the extra day. And they were able to cleanse the, te- the city of the murderers. And then Esther requested then one more thing, that the ten sons of Haman be hanged up on display on the gallows for all to see. That's the request of Esther, of Esther to hang the bodies of the ten sons, ten dead sons of Haman on display. That's her request. Sweet Esther, <laughs> beautiful Esther, asking for bodies of ten men to be dressed. Anyway, that's what happened. So in responding to the king, she asked for nothing, just another day in Shushan. And was, was, was Esther bloodthirsty? No. She was asking for another day of the work. She had her reasons. We don't know what they were. She had her reasons. Maybe Mordecai knew. We don't know. Maybe Mordecai knew. And, and they said, look, there's more destroyers of the Jews. We've got to, anyway. And so why did she ask for the bodies of the ten sons of Haman to be hanged up in public display? To make a public disgrace of those who wanted to destroy the Jews. For the future, she's thinking, to strike terror in those who could, would consider to destroy the Jews. And we see in verse 14 that the king commanded to be done. A new decree from the king was given. Hang the bodies of the ten sons of Haman from the gallows. Give one more day, the 14th day of Adar, to continue the work of destroying the enemies of the Jews. And then we see that, as it says, the ten sons of Haman were hung. Probably they were strung up with chains, we don't know, for some time, maybe for 24 hours. And in verse 15, we again see the Jews gather themselves together in Shushan. They kill 300, just the men, not women, not children. They didn't take the spoil. And in verse 16, we're told that the other Jews throughout the provinces, they, they, uh, they, they, they did that. They finished their work on the 13th. And we're told that on the 13th, they organized themselves. They stood for their lives. They, they had rest from their enemies. So that's how the killing of the enemies is described. It's described as the Jews had rest from their enemies. That, by the way, is the, is, is the way that we shall finally have rest from Satan, our enemy, when he's cast into the lake of fire. Until that happens, we don't have rest. Then in verse 17, we're told that the Jews in the province completed their work of killing their enemies on one day, the 13th of Adar. And, and, and notice how a lot, of, uh, a lot of work is going on in these verses to, to help us get the, the date straight. Didn't work for me, but anyway, it, th- th- this is really, see? All right, so the 13th day, they rested, and then it says they rested on the 14th day. And they made that day, the, the, day of Adar, the 14th day of Adar, a day of feasting and gladness, see? But then you see in verse 18, it explains that the Jews in Shushan, goes back, explains again, in case we didn't get it right, that it, t- it took the Jews in Shushan the palace two days, the 13th and the 14th, to kill their enemies, and then they rested on the 15th day of Adar. So they made the 15th day of Adar a day of feasting and gladness. See, So it took us two whole verses <laughs> to explain to us what happened in Shushan and in the provinces on the days of 13th, 14th, and 15th of Adar. So it's no wonder that you get confused. But the point is that both the Jews in the province, the provincial Jews, and the Jews in Shushan, the palace, they celebrated on the day after their work was completed. So the point is that they were very quick, very quick and very speedy to celebrate the victory that God had given to them as soon as it was finished. As soon as the victory was fresh, as soon as the mercy was, was, was completed there, it was almost tangible, they celebrated. That's a good example for us. It's a good example for us. 
And now we find that Mordecai, he has a lot of responsibilities, Mordecai. So Mordecai next, he's trying to establish the day. Which day are we going to have, Mordecai, for the annual celebration of this great victory? So, so what do we have? We have a problem. <laughs> we have a problem. Only the Jewish people could come up with a problem like this, like which day you have to celebrate the great victory. But this is what happens. So the problem is stated in verses 18 and 19. See, So what do we have in verse 18? We have the Jews in Shushan the palace who fought on the 13th and the 14th, and then they have their celebration on the 15th of Adar. Those are the Jews in Shushan the palace. See? And so that, the Jews in Shushan the palace, they say, well, what day should we have for the annual celebration? And uh, Mordecai, of course, there's only one right day to have this annual celebration, Mordecai. Say it's the 15th of Adar already. All right. But in verse 19, we have the provincial Jews. Now the provincial Jews, they fought on the 13th of Adar, and they had their celebration on the 14th of Adar. So the Jews in the provinces, they say, Mordecai, of course, there's only one right day to have for this annual celebration. It's the 14th of Adar. <laughs> you get the picture? But that's all been settled now, and now the Jews in Shushan and province, they live in perfect peace and harmony, right? <laughs> One says the right day is the 15th, the other day is the 14th, so 15th, 14th, 14th, 15th, you know, tradition. All right. So now, they come to Mordecai, and <laughs> they say to Mordecai, you know, Mordecai, you know, like a Solomon the wise, you know, come up with a solution to this problem. So Mordecai, he looks at the Jews of Shushan who are yelling, the 15th of Adar. And Mordecai says, you're right. That's what he says. And then Mordecai looks at the the Jews from the provinces who are yelling, the 14th of Adar. And Mordecai says, you're right. (laughs) Mordecai says, you're both right. (laughs) He says that. And Mordecai turns to Esther. (laughs) And he says, you know, oh, I got a Moses headache. He says, no, (laughs) people are giving me a headache. And everybody's looking at Mordecai and say, what do you mean? You're right, you're right, you're both right. You don't make any sense, Mordecai. Say something that makes sense. And in verse 20, Mordecai sits down and he writes this great compromise, which he sends to all the Jews near, that be Shushan, and far in the provinces. And Mordecai says, okay, we have a problem. One group says we need to set the annual celebration date on the 14th. The other group says we need to have the date on the 15th. So we're going to celebrate two days. Keep everybody happy on the 14th and 15th. Everybody looks at each other and says, Mordecai, you're a genius. <laughs> you should get the Nobel Peace Prize. Such an intelligent person, this Mordecai. And everybody's happy. So, in time to come, when your son, is Father's Day, the son or the daughter asks the father, Papa, why do we celebrate Purim on two days, the 14th and the 15th of Adar? And then the wise father should say, I'll tell you. It's because a long time ago, Jewish people argued. (laughs) Jewish people argued? No, that's not possible. (laughs) Unheard of, Jewish people to argue. And so as I was saying, a long time ago, Jewish people were arguing, and the only way Mordecai could stop the Jewish people from arguing was to make two days for the Purim celebration. So we celebrate for two days, because if we don't, the Jewish people would still be arguing today, that's for sure over what date it is. And so that's why verse 21 is written with the way it is. To establish this among them, that they should keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and the 15th day of the same yearly. That's why it says establish this. In other words, settle it. Stop the fighting. And Mordecai was thinking, okay, now that I've, that I've settled this great controversy, that for, now we'll get back to the real reason for the celebration. 
And that's where we'll pick it up next time. Let's pray. Father, thank you so much for the fact that there was a great victory. We thank you, Lord, that when everything looked absolutely abysmal, and the Jews, it appeared, were going to have their last day as a people on earth, on the 13th of Adar, we thank you, Lord, that you stepped in and you made foolish the wisdom of the proud. Lord, through a woman, through Esther, you overcame the devices of the enemy. And we thank you, Lord, and as we read these things and study these things, it gives us great confidence to put our trust in you with all of our heart and to not lean unto our own understanding, but in all of our ways to acknowledge you. Thank you, Lord, for being the great God that you are and for us to have the opportunity to read these things and to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you for joining Tom Cantor and the Friendship with God radio program today. Our resource this month is from Tom Cantor called How Would You Learn the Meaning of Isaiah 53, which is a uniquely written gospel presentation. We'll also include Tom Cantor's personal testimony, How a Jew Came to Know and Put His Trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. You'll receive both of these for a $10 or more donation to the Friendship with God radio program. You'll also receive a matching donation from Israel Restoration Ministries towards Jewish Evangelism Outreach. We've reached in the past three years well over 5 million lost Jewish people with the gospel. So you'll receive these two resources from Tom Cantor, and you'll help Jewish evangelism by getting the gospel out there to the Jew first through Israel Restoration Ministries and our missionaries that we send out with the gospel. You'll be supporting this Bible teaching radio program and reaching the Jew first with the gospel and get two resources just for a $10 or more donation. So call us today at 1-800-247-3051. You can also go to friendshipwithgod.org online to our online bookstore of Tom Cantor's resources and materials, friendshipwithgod.org, or 1-800-247-3051. Thanks and join us tomorrow.